We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Are you a broken vessel, weighted down with discouragement, illness, or perhaps a disability? Well, take heart. Whatever your burden may be, God offers treasures that will transform your life. Hello, dear listeners. You're listening to Broken Vessels, Hidden Treasures. And here are your hosts, Paul and Tabitha Norris. Have you heard of Holi, the Hindu festival of color? The night of bonfires. It's probably India's best known, most vibrant festival. On one of my first experiences of Holi in India, an Indian missionary and an American who had come to our village invited me to go into town with them and pick up supplies. As soon as we'd pulled into the market area, we were met with a chaotic scene. The streets were overflowing with runners and bike riders, all smearing each other with colored powder and shouting playfully. Children were lined up along the road and balconies and rooftops, throwing water balloons and spraying water guns. Noticing the pandemonium, the missionary offered to go into the store alone and suggested the two of us wait safely inside the jeep, and we were happy to do that. As the minutes ticked by, the heat started to rise and we began to swelter. We decided we should roll down our windows to get some air. It seemed like a brilliant idea, but... The moment my glass was cranked down, a motorcyclist whizzed by me. He let out a yell and, without giving me a second to react, hurled a huge fistful of bright red powdered paint in my face. Initially, it made me cough and sputter, but after recovering from the surprise attack, I was able to laugh about it. I wore that red paint on my face and in my hair for days. It was not easy to get out. Perhaps you've seen images of Indians dancing and laughing, stained with a large array of colors, or maybe you've heard of color runs, which take place even here in the United States. On the surface, it looks like a blast, a big party that seems to bring everyone together. But Holi is a Hindu holiday, and despite all the pomp, once those bonfires have smoldered out and the paint has washed off, the temples in India are again overflowing with worshippers, doing what they believe is necessary to shun evil. The fact that they have to do this year after year shows they haven't found lasting peace or forgiveness. If you research holy, you'll find a mile-long assortment of accounts on what it's meant to represent, from spring and new beginnings, to forgiveness, to triumph over evil. The name holy is derived from the evil goddess Holika. According to Hindu mythology, Holika was killed. In different parts of India, varying reasons are told how that happened. The most common story goes like this. Holika assembled a pile of wood, on which she would burn her nephew because he refused to worship Holika's evil and arrogant brother as God. Holika wore an inflammable shawl that would protect her in the flames. But as she held her nephew in her lap, while sitting in the middle of that fire, a gust of wind blew the shawl off and it fell over her nephew. As a result, Holika perished and her nephew was rescued. 
That's why on the first day of Holy, people build bonfires on the sides of roads and in parks, sometimes on temple grounds. The fires are a demonstration of Holika's demise and the nephew's rescue. They're a symbol of triumph of good over evil. We've questioned the younger generations of Hindus, and they like to tell us Holi is all about fun. For older generations or individuals who are deeply seeped in Hinduism, this festival is a picture of achieving peace and victory. As believers, we celebrate a different victory, a true once and for all triumph and conquest of sin and death through Jesus Christ. We can read all about it beginning in Genesis. God created the world and everything in it, and he called his creation very good. He fashioned Adam out of the dust of the earth, and later Eve to be his companion and helper. His design for them was to live a life of fellowship with him. God gave them dominion over the earth and liberty to eat from any tree in the garden except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When we reach the third chapter of Genesis, we're introduced to Satan. Throughout the Bible, Satan has been described as the evil one, the prince of demons, a murderer, the accuser, the father of lies. This is the devil we meet in Genesis 3, and it's here a dark event in human history takes place. Satan, disguised as a serpent, deceived Eve by calling God's word into question. Eve ate the forbidden fruit, and Adam chose to do the same. At this moment, humanity was swept into sin and a fallen world. But out of this devastating scene came an extraordinary beacon of hope for the world. In Genesis 3.15, God promised redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Jesus was the perfect offspring. A few thousand years after this promise was given, he was crucified, removing Satan's power. The crucifixion was a common method of capital punishment, particularly among groups like the Romans. The condemned man would be whipped or scourged, then forced to drag the crossbeam of his cross to a place of punishment. The upright pole would already be fixed in the ground. At some point, he'd be stripped of his clothing and fixed firmly to the cross by nails or spikes through the wrist. The crossbeam would then be raised about 9 to 12 feet off the ground and fastened to the upright pole. Sometimes a ledge would be inserted under the feet to give support to the body, and a sign stating the criminal's name and crime would be placed over his head. When we read the description of Jesus' torturous death there on the cross, many of us are sickened by it. He underwent all that and more. It was gruesome, and yet he willingly sacrificed his life, demonstrating the greatest love for the world. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, endured the cross because of the joy set before him. What was the joy that kept him on the cross? I believe it was the triumph of the resurrection and future reign and his loving goal to redeem the human race. I'm humbled and amazed at the thought that he died for me. Satan was undone at the crucifixion by Christ's death, and the record 
of our debt was nailed to the cross. Every argument against us by the accuser was canceled. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to shame. The life of Christ did not end at the cross. Three days later, he conquered death by rising from the dead. We're living in days when facts are turned to myths. Myths are held as truths, and truths are said to be opinions. Our Lord's resurrection is a literal fact. When he rose from the dead, he was no ghost. He stood before hundreds in the flesh, bearing the marks of his crucifixion. Worthy is the Lamb. The Apostle Paul talked about knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. God's phenomenal power was certainly displayed at that glorious event. And praise God, Jesus' resurrection holds victory, joy, and power even for us. His resurrection guarantees you and me eternal life. Unlike what false religions will tell you, he doesn't offer forgiveness and salvation based on devotion, good works, or religious piety. He doesn't accept or deny a person based on caste or social status. He offers it freely as a gift to all who believe in him. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus' resurrection proves that for the believer, death has no sting or grip. There are many in the world who fear death. Many who question, does life go on after death? Jesus says it does. His resurrection was a seal of authenticity, so to speak, on every statement and claim that he's made. He not only defeated death himself, he defeated it for us. Sickness, disease, and death will not have the final word. C.S. Lewis explained this eloquently in his book, Miracles. Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. The resurrection of our Savior assures us that one day we will have an imperishable body. After Jesus rose from the dead, he felt no more reproach, no more pain, weakness, or weariness. Likewise, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. This is both a personal and powerful promise of hope to me. I live with progressive muscular dystrophy, which strips me of stamina and strength month by month. But the resurrection of Jesus means that someday... I won't need a wheelchair anymore. Are you looking forward to that moment when we'll be resurrected out of this fallen, groaning world to be with our Savior, where there'll be no viruses, no sin, no death, no suffering? Currently, we are all going through a season of uncertainty, and for many around the world, the very foundations of life seem to be crumbling. Millions have lost their jobs and their wealth, and many have lost friends and loved ones. In this state of flux, we all need a sure and living God, who is unmovable, true, and trustworthy. 
We need hope. And by hope, I don't mean a wishy-washy type of optimism. I mean a strong, unshakable confidence in Jesus. In these hard and confusing days that we're living through, we don't have to wonder where the Lord Jesus is or what he's doing. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, the most prominent position of authority. He sees all, knows all, and is actively taking our anxieties and troubles to our Heavenly Father, where they are covered with mercy and grace. He is our great defender and deliverer. Dear listener, if you are searching for hope, why not pick up a New Testament? Read for yourself about the Lord Jesus and the salvation he freely offers. We pray the God of hope fills you with all joy and peace and allows you to abound in hope. Thanks for tuning in today to Broken Vessels, Hidden Treasures. It is our hope and prayer that you will find the grace and goodness of God even in trials. We'd love to hear from you, and your feedback is important to us. You can reach out to Paul and Tabitha with comments, questions, or to share an episode with a friend in need through our website at bvhtministries.org.